0: If we had taken that first job for a lot less than we deserve, we wouldn't have been able to do the second one. So I feel like it all works out and you just have to be okay with jobs not going through and just believe that if it doesn't go through, if they can't afford it, it's for a reason and just move on.
1: You're listening to the Gangstar Creative Podcast, where we talk and share real strategies, real tactics, and real stories from me and my badass guests to help Gangstar Creators and artists like you thrive in both your business and life. And I'm your host, Ivana. I'm an artist, creative entrepreneur, speaker, and bestselling author. Are you ready to annihilate the status quo of the starving artist? If so, let's get it. today's gangstar creative guests is roxy and phoebe and they're the co-founders of Panda design company which is a boutique design agency specializing in murals in southern california working in a wide variety of mediums and methods they tailor their work to any brand strategy they are known for their bold unapologetic statement pieces and have worked with companies such as visa target the minnesota vikings the phillies lululemon and Tilly's, to name a few They are also passionate about teaching other creatives to run a successful business. Through their online resources, classes, webinars, and talks, they help give creatives the tools they need to run six-figure businesses. Some of their gangster accomplishments include booking 50K-plus mural projects, doing a TEDx talk, and starting the first-ever female mural festival, a nonprofit organization called Ladies Who Paint, that's dedicated to empowering female artists. And each year, they host a mural festival in San Diego where they fly 10 female artists from around the world for a -a once-in-a-lifetime trip to install large-scale murals. They also have gotten a book deal, and they've also been running a podcast called Drunk on Lettering for three and a half years. I'm super excited to pull back the curtain on the Panda Design Company, so let's go ahead and get to this episode. Super excited to have Roxy and Phoebe here with me today from Panda Design Company. Um, Ladies, thank you for being here and giving me your time. How are you doing during these crazy crazy times
0: (laughs) thanks for having us um yeah it is pretty easy things are different seems like changing every day so we're just trying to be flexible and roll with it and you know try and keep being creative
1: (laughs) yeah Uh, well if you could tell our listeners a little bit about yourself who is if you want to go with each person who is roxy who's
2: phoebe um and
1: like who is pander where did you start and where are you guys today
2: Yeah, a lot to talk about. So um, I'm Phoebe. I'm one of the co-founders. And uh, PANDER actually stands for P and R, as in Phoebe and Roxy. So that's always a mind blower to people when they are like, oh, that's what that is. But we wanted to come up with kind of um, an ambiguous name. Like, you know, if we, hey, we're doing murals today, but who knows after this crisis, uh, you know, if we just had... It and turn into whatever other kind of business. We just don't have to be, um, you know, stuck with something that uh, our name describes. But yeah, so I'm the co-founder. We also run Ladies Who Paint Together, which is a nonprofit uh, where we empower female muralists around San Diego. And that's how we met you. We were really lucky to have you as a volunteer and that was awesome. And um, what else, Rox? I don't know, you take it away. <laughs>
0: Yeah, so um, with our business, Pander Design Co, we primarily paint murals, and we work with businesses to create custom artwork that people will engage with on social media, so something people are going to want to stop and take a photo with. And we also do traditional graphic design stuff, branding, packaging. Um, We also teach a lot of uh, workshops and webinars and put out a lot of resources because we're passionate about helping other creatives run successful businesses. Um, we've learned that. a lot since we started our business over four mm-hmm. years ago, and uh, we want to help other creatives find success as well.
1: So you guys do obviously a lot of lettering. You have your Drunkard Lettering podcast. You your work. Um, listeners, you got to check out their work. It's very colorful. It's very fun. I am, have never been good at lettering or handwriting um, with my graphic design background. I would just stick mostly uh, just to the graphic design aspect without the lettering. <laughs> so I really admire your guys's talent and skill set in that. Um, do you guys do any types of projects uh, that is outside of the lettering or is that mainly like your focus of um, your work and your projects?
2: Yeah, it's definitely where we've uh, carved out a a niche for ourselves. We certainly specialize in lettering, but we both went to school for uh, graphic design, so we can do anything really. Um, Both have a background in fine art, so we grew up drawing, uh, painting, anything. So we certainly would love to do more and more illustration. I think we just need to show people that we're, we're capable of that too. So uh, that's on the game plan for 2020 is more murals without lettering, uh, more logos and that kind of thing. Okay,
1: that's cool. Um, You guys have been in business for, you said, four years now and you guys have been killing it. Um, was it always successful when you started? I'm sure it wasn't. But how <laughs> long was like you know that upward part of the roller coaster before you guys felt like you saw the the peak or the turning point for your success in your career?
0: Yeah, it was definitely a big struggle in the beginning. Um, Phoebe and I both went to school for graphic design, so we didn't really have much of a business education. We both worked full-time graphic design jobs when we met and before we started our company. So when we quit our jobs to go full-time with our own business, um, we had no idea what it took to run a business. We had no idea how to price. We had no idea how to get clients or who our clients should even be. We were kind of all over the place. So Mm -hmm. it was definitely a big, big struggle because we weren't charging enough and we weren't getting enough clients coming in.
1: So that first year was
0: definitely really, really tough. And looking back, I don't really know how we made it through. Um, But we ended up working with a a business coach and um, took time to really educate ourselves on business. And that just completely changed our mindset, especially when it comes to money and just took us to a whole new level. And that's why we've been able to be successful today.
1: That's awesome. So let me just rewind a little bit. You guys were working full-time as graphic designers, What, you know, a lot of people listening are probably at that point where like they're working full time or they're working this job that they don't like or they don't feel fulfilled. What made you guys decide to, you know, either quit, put the two weeks in, you know, what was that defining (laughs) factor to make that decision as big as that? Because that can be really scary for some people, especially creatives where sometimes we really rely on that security of that what was that kind of what were those factors that made you guys say like okay yeah let's just quit and let's just go full throttle on this business together
2: well roxy has that pivotal moment so i'll let her tell that but she basically influenced me i don't think i ever done it had i not met roxy so um i never planned on on working for myself i always just imagined working for different agencies or different companies in-house so when roxy quit it was about four or five months later that i followed because i was jealous i was like oh my gosh she's doing all the work and um you know it's being being her own boss and of course it always looks really sexy from the outside it's it's as I said it's a struggle the first year but uh, yeah, she was she was definitely the trendsetter. But I'll let her tell her story. <laughs> yeah, go for it. Yeah, so
0: I always really knew that I wanted to work for myself. I just had no idea how I was going to get there. And so I was working a full time graphic design job that was really not fulfilling creatively. Um, it didn't pay well either. So it was like I'm supposedly doing what I love to do, but I don't love it, and I'm not making much money. So it kind of didn't seem that risky to me. Um, I was focusing on just putting out as much work on Instagram as possible. So drawing every day, posting my drawings, and I was building a following that way. And the more people that were seeing my work, the more people wanted to hire me or purchase the things I was creating. So I soon began to realize that Instagram was going to be my avenue for being able to work for myself. And even knowing that and building a following, I still didn't ever know when I would be ready to actually quit my job and let go of that safety net. Um, mm-hmm. And I ended up, I called in sick one day because I had so much freelance work to catch up on. And in that <laughs> one one single day, I was able to make more than I did at two weeks in my job. So that was wow. really, the,
1: yeah,
0: that was really like the light bulb moment for me. And I realized like there's so much more potential for working for myself and actually stuff I love doing. So that's Mm -hmm. when I just, it really didn't take long for me to decide to quit my job at that point. And yeah, it was, it was scary for sure. But you know, once you (laughs) quit your job, it really lights Mm -hmm. the fire under you and you have to make it work. So Yeah. um, yeah, it's a really good motivator. So that's kind of the journey I took, but There really is never a point where you feel completely ready to do it, but you just make it work once you do.
1: Yeah. Did you guys get any or a lot of backlash from like your friends or family from making a big leap like that, especially like doing
2: something in the creative industry? Uh, My parents were fairly supportive. I mean, they've always been supportive. They they literally paid for me to go to art school, which was not cheap and is a huge <laughs> risk. So yeah. supportive in that way. But I think they were just nervous for me financially, how I was going to succeed once I went off on my own. But uh, I don't know how we tricked them into thinking it would be fine. <laughs> but uh, it was more just my uh, my boss not being very sure of, of me. And then actually the CEO of my company sitting me down and and having this conversation with me about you know, are you sure you really want to do this? You know, you really should consider staying uh, in a nice way, but basically saying like, I don't think you're going to succeed. So um, (laughs) it was kind of fun. I I liked proving them all wrong. Yeah, Yeah.
1: it's like, look at me now.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Totally. Yeah, for me, my parents were like, weirdly supportive, like I wasn't really expecting that at all. Um, And So everyone seemed pretty supportive, but I'm sure they were really nervous for me as well.
1: (laughs) Well, that's good. I feel like, you know, a lot of people worry about having that support because, you know, as a creative or being in the creative industry, you always have those people that like, oh, so what do you go to college for? And, you know, you're like fine art, graphic design, like, oh, okay. So, you know, are you going to get a real job? You get that question. Some of your -hmm. parents like already might hesitate with you working professionally, like you have a professional job in a creative industry, but they're still kind of like, eh, I doubt it's going to like work out. But now you want to actually quit that job that you have, that stability and that security to do something creative um, and start a business, which starting a business already is hard in itself. And um, Mm -hmm. so many businesses fail within the first two to three years, so it's like, okay, are you crazy doing this? But its I think it's great <laughs> to hear that you guys have had like that support system, especially from your immediate family and friends. Not a lot of people are lucky enough to have that. Yeah. Was your family
2: supportive of you or were they totally freaked out?
1: Yeah, so my family was supportive of me. Like, I went to um, a four-year college. I was in the art program. I've been doing graphic design for a really long time. So like my mm-hmm. story in a short bubble is just like i was designing creating websites since like the fourth grade did like myspace oh my layout did all of that yeah and so like i knew i wanted to be like the best graphic designer in the world um went to college for it <laughs> didn't learn anything because i already not to you know not to like be egotistical or anything but it was just like it wasn't like the best art program but like i did wasn't mm-hmm. learning anything um, long story short i had to take a painting class and it was there i fell in love with painting and um, hated graphic design and the client aspect of it and loved the creative freedom of painting. And that's where I decided like, that's where I wanted to put my focus in. But it's just funny because awesome. me and my husband created um, a successful branding company. So that's like a majority of my income and most of my time that's being put towards um, that. So I still kind of fell back into graphic design in a way, but more from like a mm-hmm. bigger <laughs> like ownership um, and yeah. have my husband as a partner. Um, but that's why also like I'm focusing um, when I do have the time on my art stuff while also learning from creatives like you guys that are doing the damn thing in that world because I don't know for me like I feel like graphic design like agency boutique like that work is a lot easier to be successful in versus like fine art you know painting murals doing paintings commissions shows I mm-hmm. think that, that type of thing so that's what really interests me and there's not a lot of information on them that side of the world out there, which is why, you know, I'm creating the Gangstar Creative Movement and launching this podcast to help creatives like learn more about the background and the business tactics of it because we don't really, I mean, and you know this because you guys have a lot of resources for creatives to grow their business and learn how to become successful muralists, which I think is so freaking awesome. And in your social media, you guys don't hold back and sharing like the behind the scenes. So um, yeah that's pretty much like my story and having, you know, my family supportive of that is, has been great. I'm even moving all the way from Virginia to California. Um, They Mm -hmm. were, they were all cool with, so I've been fortunate enough to still have that support. Um, But I think, you know, there's, I'm just lucky in that sense. And all three of us have been lucky in that sense. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, Is there anything that you would tell to the creative listening right now that feels like they don't have the support but feel like they can make that that step forward that can help you know make that final decision
2: yeah Uh, i mean yeah what do you think
1: (laughs) i mean social
0: media has been a really great tool for us to network and meet other like-minded people when i met phoebe i didn't know anyone that was also into lettering because it was a really really small community back then and we've just from starting our podcast and just reaching out to people and commenting like we've learned that the people that we really idolize like they're just like us they're just people trying to figure it out and they don't have everything figured out even though it looks like they do on instagram so if there's someone that you idolize or look up to or want to be like you can find that network through instagram just reaching out to people and not being afraid to like yeah set up a a zoom meeting just to pick someone's brain or send them an email asking questions like people really do want to help each other, especially other creatives, especially people that have become successful, but didn't have people to look up to really. Um, I think Mm -hmm. people are just so willing to give their knowledge. It just takes just reaching out.
1: That's awesome. Yeah, I totally support that too. I mean, you're going to get people that don't get back to you, but there's people like you and me out there that are like, you know, ready to give that lending hand because we support the creative yeah. community and uplifting each other, you know, and we just mm-hmm. need more of that. <laughs> yeah. Um, so when do you feel like was like the turning point for you guys in your company where you felt like we, you know, like we made it. And I feel like, you know, it's a funny question because we're, I feel like we never really feel that, but I right. feel like when you first start a business, there's that moment where you're like, ah, I'm like, I'm drowning here. But it's like, you know, like I finally feel like I made it. Was it like a project? Was it a certain um, amount of revenue that you guys hit? Like what was that moment for you guys where you felt like you finally felt successful in your guys' career?
2: Yeah, I don't know if there's one specific moment, maybe Roxy thinks differently, but it just started feeling like it was working when we started upping our prices and when people Mm -hmm. were saying yes and we weren't, not that we were getting tons of rejections before, but it was really a turning point with working with our business coach and um, just taking the leap and putting out bigger proposals out there, bigger numbers. And when people were agreeing to that and we kind of just got on a roll. So then our confidence grew and we were able to really finally have faith in ourselves and believe in our business. I mean, not that we didn't believe in it before, but, uh, when people are willing to pay you large amounts of money, you're, it really does <laughs> do something for yes. your self your <laughs> esteem and and so that's kind of where we realize okay this is a this is gonna work like we can do this and just keep doing it and keep raising our prices as um, our expertise grows and um, and figuring out the process so that's kind of how I see it. Yeah. Um.
0: I agree with that. Another moment for me was um, Phoebe and I had always talked about a dream of being able to travel for work. And Mm -hmm. um, once we started getting jobs out of state and being able to travel and people paying for that, that was a big moment where I felt like, wow, like we're really making this happen. And then of course we booked way too many jobs, not in San (laughs) Diego. So we were traveling so much that we got super burnt out on the travel, but that was really, really cool for a time being, for a time period.
1: (laughs) isn't that funny um how you know a a lot of people before you reach that point you know you want to travel a lot like everybody says like oh my goal is to travel the world you know Mm -hmm. or travel around with my job and then you realize what goes into traveling and how tiring and exhausting yeah how you're like more prone to getting sick and then like having layovers Mm -hmm. and (laughs) all Mm -hmm. of that it's not as glamorous as everyone on instagram makes it look (laughs) yeah (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> um, i'm curious to know what made you guys hire a business coach you know something that was a pivotal moment for me and my husband with our online business with a branding company and um online business coaching and things like that is you know our, our story is we came to california um, because we knew all the entrepreneurs were here and we went to our first like conference and basically invested in our first business coach and mastermind it was a thirty-six thousand dollars investment but without that that money we didn't have but it was that moment that really like changed everything Mm -hmm. for us in our business and we were able to quit our day jobs within a year um, of moving in california and within less than a year of actually making that investment so i'm very um, passionate and very strongly um, supportive um, in people to invest in masterminds, invest in business coaches. Cause we don't know everything. And um, mm-hmm. there's that like concept around like money or like good debt versus bad debt and like investing, you know, like I can just figure this out myself. I can use all the free tools, but at the end of the day, it's like, you know, if you want to get to where you want to be faster and smarter, like you might have yep. to pay a little bit more money to mm-hmm. learn from somebody who can help you and succeed. Um, it's just like taking the concept of college, but I feel like mm-hmm. you're more successful using that money and investing that into an actual expert or you know community. Um, so okay. I'm very interested in learning about how um, what made you guys you know hire a business coach. How did you find them? Um, and tell us a little bit about that
2: experience. Yeah, so Roxy's mom actually introduced us to him. I can't remember who he'd been coaching that she knew. But I don't even think I knew what a business coach was. I didn't know mm-hmm. that was a thing. And Most people don't. <laughs> no, it's yeah. very specialized, and I mean, there's it's there's a lot now, and and a lot of people yeah. doing consulting, and there's more specific. So we were definitely his charity case, and <laughs> we always laugh like we're his lo- <laughs> like loser like whatever clients. But um, he took a chance on us, and we actually interviewed him last week for our podcast and it was funny oh, cool. talk, talking with him about that. And he was saying, you know, he chooses people from all different industry or works with people with, from all different industries, but uh, he just makes sure, he likes to make sure that whoever he's working with is passionate and is willing to do whatever it takes to make their business work. So mm-hmm. I guess we had the passion, so. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, it, was, it took one introductory phone call speaking with him and, and we just immediately felt like, wow, we don't know anything. We are all over the place. So this guy can definitely bring us to the next level. So it was, it was a pretty easy sell. Can you guys share who your business coach was? Yeah. Um, we always refer people to him. So his name's Aaron Keith and he's out of San Diego, but we just spoke, um, we, spoke on the phone we never really would meet in person less meet, you know if it's needed but yeah so mm-hmm. he I think he works with on people all over the country
1: okay cool um how long did it take for you guys to see uh like results from the actions and guidance that um you were taking and getting from him
0: Yeah. It seemed like it was really immediate. Like as Phoebe mentioned, that first call was really just, wow, we have so much to learn. And he was very blunt with us that like each week (laughs) we have basically homework that we had to do. And if we weren't doing it, then he would fire us. And Mm -hmm. um, so we had signed a six month contract with him to have our phone calls every week. And every week we were learning something new, putting something into practice that week and then talking about how it went and what we need to be doing the next week. So it felt like going to college, but instead of 4 years it's 6 months and instead of it just being very general, it's very very specific to your business. So I feel like we got a 4 month or a 4 year degree in 6 months which was really really amazing and yeah, just the amount of information, we just changed so much as people, especially like our mindset and The way we even think about business, like in the beginning, when we first started working with him, like creating the best work and being creative was like the most important thing, no matter what. But now after working with him, we are definitely entrepreneurs first and designers second, which might sound bad, but it's actually so much more exciting. And you can be so much more creative if you set yourself up for success and you're not like, struggling to pay the bills like you're set you can be way more creative when you don't have so much stress hanging over you
1: mm-hmm. absolutely um and i would like to take away the statement that you just said where it sounds bad because it doesn't sound bad and i think there's that like stigma that creatives feel like you know you're selling out if you're putting money first right. you're putting business first when it's like totally the opposite and that's totally right. a big reason why we have so many starving artists and struggling artists Is you know the mindset piece of it, and so the fact that you guys were able to you know change your mindset and learn so much in such a short period of time, and actually take action and implement on those things that you were learning and seeing so much success from it—that's really amazing, guys. Thank you. Yeah. Um, So what was like? So what were you like charging prior to like at the beginning of like? having the business coach and then what, what was that moment where he oh was like, gosh. okay, you guys need to charge this. So what was this amount? And then when you did charge it, like, what was that? Like, did it work out the first time or did you kind of freeze up on that?
2: Well, it was just totally all over the place. And that's what a lot of, <laughs> of stru- creatives struggle with is they, we find that, uh, our peers take a very long time to get back to clients with any sort of, uh, estimate or proposal, because they wow. don't know what they charge. And so they're just making a guess based on, for us, you know, making a guess based on the size of the wall and like, okay, that seems like a medium-sized wall. So I guess I'll charge $500 or whatever. Mm-hmm. There's no rhyme or reason to it. And that was like uh, the quick fix with him was coming up with a formula because it, sh- it shouldn't take you. S- you should be able to just crunch the numbers and and figure it out based on that for each upcoming uh, upcoming project. So I think we might've, shifted from not having any pricing (laughs) to uh, between 15 to $20 a square foot. Roxy, Mm -hmm. correct me if I'm wrong. I think that's what we started at. Yeah, I Uh, think that's what we started with. And then just went upwards from there. So um, yeah, actually we just this last week did a little bit of a deep dive on our internal uh, projects and everything that all of our revenue that we've, we've Um, accumulated over the last couple years and so Roxy was doing the hard part of figuring out what we've charged for every single job we've ever done so seeing that kind Mm -hmm. of over a time frame so she could probably tell you the scarier numbers from the beginning. (laughs) Cool.
0: Yeah like I said or like Phoebe said we were charging like all over the place had no no formula or anything so um, we decided to our coach helped us figure out that it needs to be based on square footage, and we we started to figure out that pricing. We started tracking everything, like how long each project took, how long we were charged, how much we were charging, how much supplies cost, so that we can then, after the fact, break it down and figure out, okay, hourly, how much were we making for this project.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And so that helped us figure out that initial, um, I think, fifteen to twenty-five dollars a square foot, which we our coach probably told us to charge more, but that was just what we were comfortable with at the time. Like yeah. it just, it takes a lot like baby steps, especially when it comes to money. You can't do huge jumps. It's just hard for you to wrap your brain around. Um, mm-hmm. now we're up to 40 to $60 a square foot. So we've oh, definitely over time. <laughs> yeah. Um, but in the beginning, our first mural job, we did it for $750. It was for Red Bull, which is a big company, and we basically did unlimited revisions for them. We did whatever they wanted, and it took us um, a few weeks to go through the designs, and then um, one billion hours to paint. Yeah, a a long time to paint, so that was just not even close to what we would charge now, Um, but that gave us, you know, once we look back and figure out how long it took, how many revisions we did, and then break that seven hundred fifty down by the number of hours and realizing that oh, we each made like minimum wage if that mm-hmm. um, was really good for eye opening so the for the next project after that we actually charged four thousand dollars. It still was a very big project, and we did way too many revisions for the client, but we were able to like understand that we needed to charge more um, yeah. and then, of course we it was the early stages so we didn't have consistent enough work. So then we would drop our prices low so we could get more projects. And then we'd do little projects here and there for like six hundred to a thousand dollars and it just wasn't working. So yeah.
1: <laughs> it's a lot of <laughs> when it comes to pricing and it really, really yeah. is all about your head about money. So you said so we went from like a $700 project to a $4,000 project and then in the beginning you kind of had to go up and down because of kind of where you were portfolio wise and experience Mm -hmm. wise. Um, Do you feel like that's necessary? If you look back on it would you do you feel like that was necessary to do or do you feel like you wish you would have just stuck to your prices Um, or do you feel like that's part of like every journey is kind of like in the beginning you kind of give or take you try to stick to your prices but of course if you have to you know you have to make money you have to wiggle it around a little bit and until you get to a point where like you're high in demand and you can just stick to the the higher prices that you um, need need to and want to charge
2: i want to say that everyone needs to go through that but also the hardcore businesswoman side of me would smack myself um for saying (laughs) that so (laughs) i i would say no i really wish that we would just you know, had been strong from the beginning. It's, it's hard, I mean, we were really insecure. So we wanted jobs and we were concerned about making rent. And that's where a lot of artists work from is like a, a feeling of desperation. And mm-hmm. um, I just don't want anyone to feel that way. So if we all just stuck to our guns and all charged competitive rates, then the world would be easier and better place.
0: Yeah, I think in the beginning, it's always like you just desperately do not want to lose that job that comes in. So like you act out of fear of losing the job as opposed to realizing like until the job goes through, you really can't get excited. And if it doesn't go through because they can't afford it, that's okay. Something else will come through and not getting super, Mm -hmm. super, super attached to these jobs before they even go through and like sacrificing your well-being just to get a job. Um, but it does take time to get to that point, but there's been so many times that you know a a really cool, awesome project comes through, but they have no budget and we end up saying no and it might even be for a really cool company we want to work with, but then either they come back or something even better comes through where like if we had taken that first job for a lot less than we deserve, we wouldn't have been able to do the second one. so. I feel like it all works out and you just have to be okay with jobs, not going through and just believe that if it doesn't go through, if they can't afford it, it's for a reason and just move on.
2: Yeah. And at the same time, we weren't, we didn't think this was possible and no one had ever told us, but working with our business coach, we learned about outreach. So instead of feeling desperate and just waiting around for an email to come into your inbox, being proactive and, and bringing it, uh, putting the, being proactive and and bringing it into your own hands. So uh, we started doing outreach and reaching out to a lot of businesses. So that was really a game changer too. Because uh, first of all, there's not a lot of people that know where to find a mural artist. So just mm-hmm. putting yourself in front of them is makes makes the job so much easier. And they're usually very thankful and say, "Wow, I was looking for a mural artist, but yeah, I didn't know where to find one." So. That was helpful, and a a large chunk of our jobs are still from outreach. So um, it really is just it's a really empowering feeling.
1: That's awesome, and that's great that you touched on that because that was kind of going into my next question. Was more of like, you know, how do you guys get your clients and your customers? How do you get your project books? So is it mostly outreach, um, or do you feel like most of it comes from um, people like? Referring you, or seeing your work online, or is it a pretty even mixture of the three? We actually, so,
2: have <laughs> I know we did some we did some math. So of course, I have <laughs> it is right right now in front of me. Rox, do you have it in front of you? I do have the um, client origin
0: and leads <laughs> deck in front of me. Um, yeah. So I work from three places, or four places, five places. <laughs> um, one being outreach. Another being through Instagram, another being inbound through our website, another one being they saw speak at a conference. And then the last category is repeat clients, which is not too much in the mirroring industry, but when it has mm-hmm. been for us, it's been a lot higher end jobs price-wise. So the majority of our clients actually come to us through our website. So that's really awesome. Um, I think a that of be it, a,
2: a referral or just, you know, they found our website, but referrals are great too.
0: Yeah. So they'll either, they come to us through our website, which is awesome. And um, that's why it's really important to not just have stuff on your Instagram, but also have a website as well, because there are so many people that are not on Instagram. And yeah. then the next category for us, the next biggest category is outreach And um, that's us just cold emailing people and getting a job to go through. So we've had quite a few jobs from that. And then the next category would be Instagram. Um, With Instagram, you just never know who's watching. We've had people email us that have been like, the creative, on the creative team at Target has seen our work and we never would have thought that this random private account was anything. But um, you never know who's watching and then another big category for us was um they saw speak at a conference and that's something that we've been really big into the last few years is speaking at conferences and but not just speaking at you know design conferences but getting ourselves out in front of other industries so Mm -hmm. we for we always use the example we spoke at a sports conference and um it's a really great conference for the design teams of all the Sports teams from MLB, NBA, NFL, NHL—all the teams come together, and we got to do a talk there. And we ended up getting seventy thousand dollars worth of work that year just from speaking at that conference because we are getting in front of people. Are yeah, people that can hire us and want to hire us, and we're you know putting our best work out there and showing them what we can do. So the more you can get in front of other audiences and diversify who you're speaking to the better. And then the last category for us is repeat clients. But um, so it's always important to just leave your clients super happy, check in with them. (laughs) You never know, they could hire you
1: again. I'm curious, what was your speaker topic at like the sports event? Do you typically use the same speaker topic at those types of events um, or do you change
2: it up? We switch it up depending on who the audience is and to be honest, going into that sports conference, we had no idea what to expect. We were kind of like, um, why were we invited to this? Uh-uh. Uh, we, we were really nervous because it's all in house sports teams and we're just, yeah. you know, Phoebe and Roxy, these random muralists from San Diego. Although we had done it. Oh, and it they invited
1: the you to do it. You didn't reach mm-hmm. out to them to see if you could speak there or apply. Yeah, to be they,
2: there. they reached out to us and we were like, what the heck is this thing? So. For that particular talk, we did uh, a speech on engagement and social media, and basically how a mural is the ability to has the ability to go viral and create a really big uh, social media moment. So that's what we talked about at that conference, and tried to try to add some gifts and some sports and fun things in there to be more <laughs> re- related to what they they do. But that was really wonderful because we had it makes so much sense, but we didn't really have an idea of this. They have, have struggled with bringing them in into their stadiums. You know, it's, it's mm-hmm. very much geared towards men and, um, but they feel like, yeah, wow, we're missing out on 50% of the population. And we have found that um, majority of the people taking photos in front of our murals are women. So, Hey, why don't we help you out? So that's why it was, it was basically us getting on stage and doing a sales pitch <laughs> that's so awesome.
1: I absolutely love that. Um, because a lot of people, you know, if you do, if you're starting out as a speaker, sometimes you just kind of go up, you just want to be, you're so excited to share your knowledge, but it's always important to have that type of strategy and you know, your keynote or your, your, um, speaker topic should somewhat basically be a sales pitch, but it shouldn't feel like it. But at the Mm -hmm. end of the day, you're teaching them on like what you're doing. You don't, you want to be able to make business from you know, the event that you're you're speaking, speaking at. So I think that's awesome that you guys were able to, you know, speak on your work murals and how that can benefit, you know, the sports industry. And I'm sure Mm -hmm. you guys were the only ones that were talking about this topic. They probably never heard anybody else talk about it.
2: Yeah, and we've been to enough conferences already as attendees to know what we don't enjoy sitting through. Our pet peeve is when people get up there and just literally do a presentation of their portfolio because it's like, um, (laughs) we can do that from home. We can go on your website or your Instagram from home. We want to hear something different and provide some sort of insight or advice or, you know, be more vulnerable up there. So we knew what we didn't want to do.
1: Right. That's awesome. And then to all my listeners too, listening, you might not know this, and I don't know if you guys are doing this yet or have done this, but as a speaker, you can get paid to speak and make lots of money speaking at conferences and on stages. And a lot of people don't know that that can be a uh, source of income or a revenue source. There's people that get paid from a thousand dollars a talk to up to $50,000 a talk. Um, you can also speak on stage and pitch, you know, whatever your offer or services at the end, and you can make money that way or split it with the person, uh, hosting the conference or event. So that's something that a lot of you probably have never heard of. Um, but I just wanted to share that with the listeners yeah. in case they had no idea that was out there, but I'm curious, do you guys do, um, paid speaking gigs? Is this something that you guys, um, want to keep doing and keep doing more of? has it been successful for your business? Yeah, we love
0: speaking. Yeah. We love speaking and it's nice when we can get paid for it as well. Not every job or every speaking gig does pay, but um, they always pay for like travel and accommodations and all that. But we do mm-hmm. see the value in it because if it is a great audience that we could potentially do a lot of work with, we just know it's a great opportunity and even if we just get one job out of it, it'll be worth it. So
1: we always Absolutely. take those
0: opportunities whenever we can. Yeah
1: yeah i mean if anybody ever asks you to speak you should always say yes even if you don't have anything ready it's just like you don't know what can come out of it i know me and my husband like when we were first starting out and super nervous like we had the opportunity to speak um alongside a couple of friends and we said no because we were like scared and weren't prepared and then our friend went up there and spoke for like ten, it was like a 10 minute slot he spoke for 10 minutes and then all these people like chased him to the back of the room and he made a bunch of money that day. And we were like, never mm-hmm. again will we ever turn yeah. down the opportunity to speak. So anytime. <laughs> yeah. yeah, even if it's not paid, like, you know, you should always speak because the way uh, you touch people in the room and you impact people in the room um, and educate them on what it is that you do or offer. Nine times out of 10, they're going to want to talk to you and see how they can hire you um, or refer somebody to you. So. I think that's Mm -hmm. really cool that you guys are even in the speaking space. I know a lot of creatives don't even know that that's a thing or they're too scared to put themselves out there Mm -hmm. on a stage and speak to a lot of people. Mm
0: -hmm. I will
1: mention too, um, there are such
0: thing as speaking coaches and we work as a speaking coach um,
2: (laughs) as well. Oh, look at (laughs) y'all. Yeah,
0: that's something if you don't feel like you're a good public speaker, there is a coach for everything. So Mm -hmm. it's worth investing in that as well.
1: Absolutely. Oh, I love that. You guys are so ahead of the curve and I'm so excited to have <laughs> you guys share all this knowledge with everybody. This is so fun. Yeah. Um, when you guys are talking about outreach, what does that look like? I know some listeners probably haven't even thought about what outreach is and what that looks like. What does like a typical outreach email look like? Do you do it just email or on social media too or does it just does it depend? Yeah, we've been
2: sliding into people's DMs. We're not uh, (laughs) shy about doing that. And specifically when we're trying to find, you know, the creative director for Shake Shack or whatever, um, finding them on LinkedIn. And then, yes, I will message people on LinkedIn, but I don't know, maybe it's something I'm doing wrong, but I haven't had great success in in people getting back to me on there. So when I find their Mm -hmm. social media uh, accounts, I mean, I feel like I get a better response. A response rate or but what we generally do is is the cold emailing and so um, for instance we're if it's still on we're, we're trying to go to a conference in Detroit this July so we have a goal of painting in all 50 states so we want to paint a mural while we're in Detroit like we don't want to just go there for the conference we want to make some money too so mm-hmm. we smart have been yeah we've been reaching out to every single business possible in in Detroit and I say every single business possible, but we do know what industries work best for us. So targeting um, hotels, restaurant groups, co-working spaces, startups, uh, shopping centers, all of all those sorts of places that have people hanging out and in, whether it's inside or out, outdoor space that would need a mural. So we find their emails and then we write, a, we have a, a basically a templated email that we just copy and paste, but take cater it to each person a little bit here and there if you need to and um so um what that usually says is that, hi you know my name's phoebe i'm uh run Panda design co alongside of my business partner roxy and we're coming to detroit this summer we came across your business and we thought our murals would be a really great fit for you so um feel free to take a look at the presentations below and then do you have time to hop on a quick call this week and we always end it with a question because it makes people feel like they have to respond and then when they don't answer that one we follow up in three to five days um maybe a week and say hey just checking in to see you got my last email and some people will say you know unsubscribe or leave me alone but they are really excited and want to talk and say, let me take a minute to look at your stuff and share this with my team and then i will get back to you. Um, So that's usually how that works. And then we hop on a call and you explain your process and one thing leads to another and we either have a mural job or we don't. And sometimes, you know, it might not work out in that, that moment or that time period, but they say, you know, this might be a better in a few months. And so that, that's when we put their name and their info into uh, a spreadsheet somewhere and we, and we reach back out to them at that point because, you know, yeah. people forget. It's, it's so easy mm-hmm. to just forget about things, but you need to be aggressive and put yourself in front of them. So we, we certainly follow up with everyone and make things happen. Um, another thing I wanted to talk about was doing outreach right now, which is something we have stopped doing because we felt like it's kind of insensitive to trying to sell murals right now when everyone's yeah. um going through this. But it was kind of an interesting conversation we had yesterday with a friend who is in sales and for a marketing firm, which is basically the same as us, you know, we're we're pitching marketing to people. So he said he's he's still doing outreach, but just, you just have to word it correctly. So, um, there are a lot of companies that are still doing well. Um, for instance, he was saying mm-hmm. liquor, like liquor sales are not seeing any sort of, uh, <laughs> oh, depression right now. So, yeah. um, we're not going to be able to, you know, do probably the same marketing as, as normal, but you know, it's still worth putting yourself in front of them and, and saying, you know, whether it's right now or down the line, you know, I want to help you. And, perhaps get creative with it when you know once that conversation actually starts you can get creative with it and maybe pitch something differently that wouldn't um have worked before but it's it makes sense now because everyone's on you know lockdown
1: (laughs) yeah oh that's so good and really smart um Mm -hmm. you know thinking about different ways to approach especially something like you know the coronavirus where nothing like this has ever happened where like the whole Mm -mm. world has like been affected the way that it has and so many businesses and people are affected by it and it's just like you know I don't think it's evil that people want to sell their products or services because we all gotta do what we Mm -hmm. gotta do but it's you know Mm -hmm. how you do it and how you approach it so um, that's very interesting to hear you know that approach and how you guys are kind of shifting that where it's like, okay, it is a little insensitive to like pitch murals right now when they're trying, they're, they have to lay off employees and this right. and that, but then it's also, there's also businesses who are doing completely fine. Like you said, like mm-hmm. the liquor business, um, mm-hmm. I'm sure grocery stores. Um, yeah, yes. You know, a lot of the bigger companies, I've even seen um, like on LinkedIn, um, makeup companies have seen a lot of growth in the past month, interestingly. So I think people are oh, wow. still like online shopping.
0: Yeah, um, right. So
1: I think there's still some, you know, big businesses out there that can still use your products or services, but just kind of shifting how you're pitching yourself and how you're mm-hmm. approaching these people um being sensitive to the situation i think that's really smart yeah. yeah um so once one person hires you okay so say you send out an email like an outreach email and they're like oh i took a look at your presentation i really love your work like this is something that we've been talking about to do for our um our office what happens next like what happens once you know you get a yes or someone hires you for your services yeah, yeah. so
2: Uh, Okay, go ahead, Rock. Sorry. (laughs) 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 Um,
0: So the next steps they want to basically they're interested in potentially hiring us and we're interested in potentially working with them, but we have to get them on the phone to hear a little bit more about what they're looking for and also to go over our process and pricing. So we as quickly as we can set up a quick introductory call, call, which is typically about 10 to 15 minutes. And this is where we get the opportunity to hear a little bit more about their company, what they're looking for, make sure it sounds like a good fit. And then to also, most importantly, go over our process and pricing. And it's really important to talk about pricing as soon as possible and to show that you're professional, you know your numbers, you know what your services cost, and um, just put it out there that, yes, this is something that they will be paying for. And um, it's important to go over what your pricing is, what your process is, how long it The process usually takes everything that's included and this is where you're selling yourself you're you know seeing if they're shocked by your numbers or anything like that and we also ask them if they have a budget range and that's where we can weed out if people just Completely cannot afford us. You know, we don't want to waste our time putting together a whole pitch deck if they don't have more than five hundred dollars to spend. So our minimum for our projects is three thousand. We don't do anything below three thousand dollars, and so we tell them that on the phone. And um, if they're like, "Yeah, sounds great." you know, our well is this size, so it would be approximately like this much and they're okay with that, then we move forward with putting together mood boards and estimates for them. But, you know, we don't want to waste our time by like checking out the site or, you know, having a bunch of phone calls if they just cannot afford us. So we try to get that out of the way as soon as possible.
1: Gotcha. So do you guys um, share your prices and ask budget or do you do like budget first and then you share your prices or one and the other de- depending on the client? What does that look
2: like? Yeah, we ask them. Uh, well, actually, no, we, we usually tell them our whole process first and we say it's 40 to $50 a square foot, but people don't usually do math. <laughs> so um, they they nod their heads or they say yes, but they don't necessarily you know, know what, what that, that means. <laughs> means yeah so at the end we say do you have a budget range in mind for this project or a number you'd like to stick within and which is also good to know because um you know say they say four thousand dollars but to do the entire wall would be eight thousand dollars we say mm-hmm. okay well um you know th- that wouldn't that wouldn't pay for the whole wall but we can certainly put together some pricing or some some options for you that are four thousand dollars and sh- we do a lot of of presentation showing what a partial wall would look like so we we tell people you know we can design it so it doesn't just look like a sticker on your wall that we can do this mm-hmm. interesting like half wall thing or especially if it's the bottom half of the wall because that's where people are gonna be standing to take photos anyways or yeah. if it's you know it's always different so it's just good to to ask on their side and then also be very upfront on our side
1: gotcha so then if they are within or they meet your minimum and, or they more than your minimum, which is a, a big woo Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, what happens after that?
0: Yeah. So sometimes, you know, just because they tell us their budget doesn't actually mean that's their budget. So we just like to ask that to get them thinking about it and to break mm-hmm. the ice when it comes to talking about money. Um, but it's, we don't really, you know, we'll give them options, but it doesn't necessarily mean that we're not going to pitch them something a lot bigger because we found that companies, they're not going to tell you everything they have to spend. And if you do a good job of selling yourself and they really want you, they're going to make it happen. So I'm sure all of us have bought something that was a little bit out of our price range, but we really wanted those shoes or whatever. Like if someone <laughs> yeah. really wants you, they're going to find a budget to make it happen. So we always put together options for our clients. So next thing we would put together mood boards and estimates for their call um, for our next call. And the mood boards are going to show the difference between the two price points. So we always do tiered pricing, um, which is a low end and a high end. And um, low end is something more simple usually one to three colors. It obviously takes a lot short of a time to design and to apply onto the wall and then something on the higher end is the $50 a square foot range and that's a lot more complicated more detail. So We go on Pinterest and go through our past work and put together mood boards based on what we think the client will like, what would look good in the space, and also just showing the visual difference between those two price points so they really understand what they're getting for the two different prices. And these are just inspiration. We find a variety of work to put in the mood boards because we really wanna get to know what kinds of stuff they like. If you're just showing all the same kind of work, you're not really giving them much to look at or to choose from and you're not really going to get a sense of what they like because when you show variety, there's going to be at least one thing they like and that's going to get them excited and visualize it in their space. Whereas if you're only showing one style, if they don't like it, they're not going to hire you. So it's good to show range and we'll get on the phone and we'll walk through those mood boards with the client, show them something really pretty to look at, get them excited, get them thinking about their space. And then we present the numbers to them as well. And we find that showing options, it makes it so much easier to close the deal because there's some flexibility. You're giving them choices as opposed to, do you want to hire me? Yes or no. It's, do you Mm -hmm. want option A, B, or C? And it's usually that Goldilocks principle where they typically choose the middle option. So...
1: So you always provide three options.
0: Typically, I mean, it depends, like sometimes they'll have like five different walls that they're choosing and then, Mm. you know, the estimate gets a little out of control because we're showing (laughs) options for each, but typically we'll show um, an option for high-end, low-end and a vinyl option as well if they want it um, for a lower cost point because we're not painting it.
1: Okay, that's that's really cool. Is it like you're walking them like over the phone or do you hop on like a zoom video call and kind of walk through the proposals that you created or We
0: do it on yeah. the phone.
1: Oh, okay, cool. Yeah, I, I think it's, um it's good that you guys are sharing this too, because I don't think it's a very, you know, professional a lot of businesses like do this type of process and steps, but a lot of people don't think about applying that to like an art business or a creative business. So I think it's really cool that you're, you're sharing um, that, that flow.
0: Yeah. Thank you.
1: You, and this is um, you don't do any concept work at all, right?
0: No. It's and just
1: finding inspiration putting it in a mood board and be like, Hey, here's the potential. And then yeah. once they say yes, they pick the price point. I'm assuming you guys do a deposit and then you do concepts. Next. Yeah.
0: Yeah. We don't do any design work until we get 50% deposit upfront and a contract signed. And we don't recommend anyone do any work for free. You're just like <laughs> giving them free work. Why are they going to want to pay you if you're doing this stuff for free upfront? And also you're not going to spend as much time. Like you're, you can't create good work for a client if you, don't have assurance the job's coming through and you haven't even really had those conversations with them to figure out what they want. So mm-hmm. um, once we show them the mood boards, we get them excited, they sign on for the project, we get 50% up front, get a contract signed, and then we start designing. And then we can really dig into the project, dig into what they're inspired by, what's best for their space. And um, we've just found any time we, skip steps or design up front, it never, ever, ever goes well, ever.
2: (laughs) (laughs) The universe knows. Yeah.
1: Yeah. um, Especially like with having contracts and having like specifications on um, you know how many things that you can change and like mm-hmm. you know, what exactly you're agreeing on because somebody's expectation of you could be totally different on whatever mm-hmm. your expectations are for the project so uh, that's really good that you're sharing um, with our listeners you know like have that contract <laughs> get that deposit yeah. get that bag <laughs> at least half the bag right now yeah um, and then they pay you I assume um, the day you complete the project or you give them like a three-day window
0: Um, Yeah, so if we're doing stuff that's digital, like a branding project, or if it's gonna get printed as a vinyl, um, we don't give them the final files until they pay the final deposit. So at that point, they've already like decided um, the final, like they've already approved the final artwork, they just don't have the files that they need. So we just don't send that to them until we get that final payment. And so we've obviously never been (laughs) stiff for payment for that for painting murals it's a little bit different because we have to install the mural and then we get paid um, once we finish and we, you, we require it to be paid the day that we finish but of course sometimes people wait or people will just sometimes have a little bit longer to process payments and um, we have a late fee in our contract that if we don't receive payment within Fourteen days of finishing the mural. That there's a ten percent late fee, which we don't ever really um, implement. We just use that to threaten people, basically <laughs> nicely, just say like, "Hey, yes, to you protect know, yourself. Of yeah, course. you got to protect yourself." So, um, so yeah, we um, we again also have never been stiffed on mural painting as well, um, getting that That's final good. payment. We have had to get our lawyer involved to get payment one time, but um, luckily we still got the payment.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, what? How long is your the sales process typically? Would you say like from outreach to actually closing the deal?
2: Yeah. People, the longest the longest period is waiting for the contract to get signed. So mm. um, that's really what that slows things down, but. Uh, what do we have? We have everything from, you know, we could do, we don't want to do this, but we can turn a project around in two weeks, or we have some that take six months, but generally I think our average is around two months.
1: Okay. See, that's good to know. Cause I feel like a lot of people feel like it just ha like they see success from other creatives and they're like, Oh, like it probably just happened right away, but mm-hmm. it's like a process, you know, you have to do follow-ups and then you have to get yep. on the call and then these people are behind big companies, so there's a lots of people that have to approve things. <laughs> yeah, you know, they're yeah. busy too. And so, yeah, so knowing that's really, um, really eye opening. I, I feel.
0: Yeah, and sometimes it is fast, just due to the client's deadline. But a lot of times it is slow, especially you're not typically talking to the actual decision maker who's going to be paying you the money. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah, especially when working with bigger companies. So knowing that it is going to take a bit longer than you expect, um, even when the company is telling us like, we need to get pricing from you today, or whatever, like there's always a hold up and something that (laughs) they need to figure out on their end, or they have other things they need to work on. So it just always takes a little bit longer than expected.
1: Gotcha. Gotcha. Do you guys do everything yourselves? Do you have a team? Do you outsource any of your mural work? Um, how does that look like?
2: Yeah. So, um, sad story, but we did have an employee doing business development for us until this shit hit the fan. So, um, unfortunately we had to do our first layoff. So that wasn't fun, but, um, you know, everyone's going through that right now so we're not yeah. alone and then when it comes to uh, applying murals we do outsource we will find people um that's how we've tried to cut back on travel because we were killing ourselves so um or especially if we have two projects going on at one time you know we can be doing an install somewhere and then having someone else install for us if uh there's you know a project in la or in Uh, Texas or something so we've found quite a few sign painters that we trust and and love and they do great work and are are able to paint our murals for us
1: oh that's cool so you kind of have this list of people um like trusted people that you have in your back pocket that you'll reach out to and then have them go to whatever location Mm -hmm. that you need them to go to um you don't just kind of like put out a I don't know like a job offer or whatever and like
2: uh, yes, because actually California is very strict now. So with this whole gig economy, a lot of people are getting away with with not taking care of their employees. So um, right. Well, and for other reasons too. But so what they require us to have is if we're going to use subcontractors, they need to have um, their own business license as well as liability insurance. So we require that of anyone that we're going to have painting for us, and then in addition to that, you know, we, we vet them, you know, we check out their portfolio and how long it takes them to, to paint. And, uh, you know, we, we basically do like a mini interview.
1: Ah, gotcha. That's awesome. See, I think most creatives feel like they have to do everything themselves and there's what they don't know is like a lot of the biggest creatives and artists, you know, they have people that help and it's Mm -hmm. okay to like, let go a little bit. Um, I'm sure you guys have some sort of like, I guess like a training process or hiring process, like you let them know how you need the project done, right?
0: Yeah, definitely. Um, We're pretty clear on all that. Um, Other people that we work with, we also have a bookkeeper that does our finances. We also have a financial advisor, an accountant, and a lawyer. (laughs) So we have a lot of people (laughs) helping us behind the scenes to make everything happen because yeah, a lot of people, think they can do it themselves, but also like, I'm not an expert in accounting. So why should I be doing our accounting? Um, Hiring other people that are better at you, better than you at certain things makes your team stronger. And um, they're just helping propel us forward. So when you can make those, you know, sacrifice a little bit of money to hire someone that can help you grow bigger. um, It's just beneficial in the long run.
1: Yes, for sure. That was like one of the big things um, for me, my husband too, was like hiring, you know, help to design mm-hmm. the things and not be so hands-on. Yep. Is that like, um, what's the, I can't think of the book right now, but it's like, you know, it's about basically when you're working in your business versus working on your business. And mm-hmm. as a business owners and as an entrepreneur, like you want to get to a place where you're working on the yeah. business. <laughs> totally. Yeah, um, so I met you guys through Ladies Who Paint.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, actually, I think I heard you guys speak at like a local event a long time ago. I don't remember oh, cool. what a, it was like a girls event. I don't know. I think I, that's where I first saw you. Um, but I remember just um, meeting you guys, obviously at Ladies Who Paint. I had helped and volunteered um, the muralists uh, there that were painting. Um, but I would love for you guys to share a little bit about that. Uh, what about what that is. Um and also like how did this even come about and what has that process been like for you to create something as crazy cool and big and massive as <laughs> this movement and this nonprofit. So
0: Yeah. <laughs> um so I'll tell you about what Ladies Who Paint originally started as and then um Phoebe can talk to you about <laughs> the nonprofit side of it. Um okay. so a few years ago um Well, I'm sure you can imagine, and you deal with it, that as a female muralist and painter, you do get a fair amount of sexism. And we have noticed, had noticed that a lot of blogs and just social um, channels that were featuring, you know, the best artists in the world were just featuring all men. So we actually had started Ladies Who Paint about three years ago now, as just a feature account because we see so many amazing female artists from all over the world and they're just not getting enough recognition, they don't have enough followers. So we wanted to just create a platform where we were just sharing different art from different people all over the world. And um, then we got invited to a mural festival ourselves and um, we were super excited because we'd always wanted to participate in a mural festival. And when we got there, we realized that there were 40 artists from all over the world, and only a couple other of them besides us were female. So Mm -hmm. it was heavily (laughs) male-dominated. It was super unorganized. Like For some reason, all the artists were in the same area, and Phoebe and My Wall was like a 20-minute Uber ride away. So no one even saw our art. We were in an alley behind a gas station. No, they didn't. Yeah, Yeah, so it's it's just like... (laughs) really really disappointing and um that's where we got the idea for a nonprofit. so i'll let phoebe tell you about that
2: cool. yeah so on that plane ride back we were like all right we got to do something about this this is stupid so <laughs> uh we just immediately hit the ground running and started planning this mural festival that would Uh, empower female artists and then also beautify our city of San Diego. So I am, I actually grew up in Philadelphia and there's murals everywhere there. Mm -hmm. And it just kind of pisses me off because it's, you know, they have such crap weather half the year. So for San Diego to not have more public art, you know, people could be out painting all the time. We're lucky. We never even have to check the weather usually before going, heading outside. So um, just putting more public art out up in San Diego and then, yeah, empowering female artists. So um, it was really fun to figure out how to set up a 501c3. And I'm being sarcastic because I was just constantly <laughs> p- paranoid and worried that I was doing it wrong. But, you know, I just called yeah. uh, Zoom or whoever, I forget what we used. We called, I called them like 45 times, you know, just to make <laughs> sure I, all my paperwork was set up correctly. And um yeah once that was out of the way we have you know we had got the paper that says we're officially 501c3 then we were able to really uh reach out to doing the same thing that we do for our business do a lot of outreach and and get donors on board and say this is tax deductible (laughs) um so reaching out to lots of businesses and people that have uh have a love for the arts and then also just want to support women so last year was our first year and we are doing it again this year um this year it's a little bit different we are opening we opened it up for applications so um we got 665 applications This is pretty crazy mm-hmm. yeah and awesome. currently going through all those and then uh yeah it's it's fun it's definitely crazy i would not recommend starting something like this to every single person um if i'm being honest it's it's a lot of work it's a lot of work but obviously very fulfilling too so you know we we feel good at the end of the day but it also kicks our butt
1: so oh i i can only imagine um have the applications for it closed
2: Yes, they have
1: okay cool are you guys planning on doing it again um we'll see how this
0: year goes right now it's like kind of things are on hold with the virus because at Mm -hmm. this point like travel is not a thing right now so we may have to delay announcing which artists will be a part of it because right now we just don't even know how things are going to be in the next few months so um we don't want to you know not be able to include international artists and um so we're just kind of We're actually talking to our board today um, to kind of discuss those things and figure out our plan and how we're going to, hopefully we don't have to postpone. We definitely would not cancel, but if we had to postpone to make sure that, you know, everybody can be included, we would definitely do that. So hopefully everything with the virus goes away and things can go according to plan, but, you know, we'll just keep adapting.
1: Gotcha. Yeah. It's kind of crazy how that's, you know, just again, affecting everything Mm -hmm. um but it's still exciting that you guys even put that together and um i'm excited because i'm one of the applicants so fingers crossed yeah (laughs) um but yeah i think it's just amazing that it's a lot of work, but the fact that you guys still put something like that together to empower women, female artists and murals to get together um, and, you know, provide like a really cool opportunity for the city and communities and for artists themselves, whether you have experience or not. I think that's really amazing. So major kudos for you guys for even taking the time out of your busy, already busy lives to create um, something like Ladies to Paint. So Thank you you so
0: much. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for helping us last year and applying and we just really appreciate you and your support and it just makes everything feel worth it.
1: Yeah, of course. Of course. It was so much fun and being able to like connect with the artists there and just see the behind the scenes and connect with other women like. Yeah. It was, it's, it's totally an awesome thing. So I'm excited to see how it can grow for you guys and see, you know, where it goes after all this craziness um, goes away. Yeah, it does.
0: (laughs) Seriously. Um,
1: Yeah. So I just have a few more questions for you guys and we can go ahead and wrap up. Um, One of my major questions I always ask everybody is just, how do you think we as a creative community can annihilate the status quo of the starving artists?
2: We have a whole TED talk about it, (laughs) 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 Um, but yeah, uh, so definitely head to our website and watch that if you want a longer version, but I think we just all need to talk to each other, talk about pricing, and um, that will certainly help up our confidence and we'll continue to uh, change things. Roxy, did
1: you have anything you wanted to add to that?
0: Yeah. I mean, I think it just all comes down to mindset. Like if you think you're going to be a starving artist and you're not going to make money, then you're not going to make any money. So learning about business, learning how to change your mindset, thinking about money different and, you know, thinking it as a good thing and seeing the value in your work um, is really important. So that'll help us all grow. And yeah, talking to other people is very, very important. Talking about your pricing, putting it out there and just getting comfortable with money and being successful
1: (laughs) (laughs) awesome yeah I totally agree with that and I just love how you guys are like again sharing the behind the scenes like pulling the curtain back and actually even talking about your pricing sharing like you know that you've gotten like fifty thousand dollar plus projects a lot of creatives like are scared or shy to like share numbers and I'm yeah that that always like baffles me because that's I'm like that's like a big reason why people don't know what to charge or know what's mm-hmm. even possible. Like, how are you supposed to know that that's even possible to some people that might not be a lot of money, but to a lot of other creatives, yep. they're like, what? You just got paid $60,000 for yeah, like, exactly. a wall. It's like, yep. yeah, <laughs> you need to share that because it's so empowering and inspiring mm-hmm. and it just shows and opens the door to what the possibilities can be. And then we can all, you know, rise yep. up together and charge yeah. the same pricing and like, you know, uh, adjust that, sta- uh, standard quo of like what people in society, um, look at creative work or how they value it. It's just like mm-hmm. a whole, it's a whole circle of things that need to be changed in order. I feel like to annihilate that status quo. Yeah. Um, but I feel like people like you and me and a lot of creatives mm-hmm. out there who are like pulling the curtain back and sharing those types of things is really going to take that, that, Um, step forward in, in helping creatives actually stop starving and actually start thriving. So (laughs) yeah, totally. That's awesome. Um, So what's next for you ladies? I know it's kind of like a weird question now, (laughs) um, but you have like a lot of projects you're waiting on launching. Are you guys doing anything differently or new during this kind of like pause? Um, that you've adjusted to? Anything online? I know you guys, I think you guys told me you guys were um, launching more episodes on your podcast too. Mm -hmm. So yeah, what's next for y'all?
0: Yeah, we've been doing podcast episodes every day since the lockdown basically happened. So a lot of new content for people that's free. And then also just, we're going to keep pumping out resources for creatives. Um, We're actually hosting a webinar tomorrow. So we're just going to keep working on the education side. And then um, we have several mural projects just on hold. So we'll see how things progress and hopefully we can get painting soon.
1: Yeah, (laughs) I hope so for you guys too, but that's nice you guys still have the online stuff um, going for you guys and the education stuff. So that's awesome. Yeah. Um, Is there any last parting tips or advice that you wanna share to the Gangstar Creative listeners?
2: I think it's been kind of the theme with A lot of our podcasts, but don't feel that you need to be producing all this crazy extra work. Don't uh, put too much pressure on yourself during this this downtime. Um, You know, it's, it's such a weird thing that we're going through unprecedented unprecedented so just take time to take care of yourself and do what feels good. You know, if you need to lay on the couch, do that. If you want to make art or want to do something else, then do that. So yeah, one day at a time.
0: Yeah. Yeah, and I would just say that if there's something that you want to do, um, just do it, just start doing it. Just dive in instead of like waiting until you're perfect to you know, put that thing on Instagram or put it out, um, out there in the world. Um, Phoebe and I had no idea again, how to start a nonprofit or how to start a podcast. And we just jump into these things head first and figure it out along the way. And we've been able to go so much farther because we're not waiting to be perfect before we actually start putting it out there. So I'd recommend everyone out there do that as well.
1: Oh, that's so, so good advice from both of you. Um, thank you both so much for your time today and chatting and sharing so much awesome gold nuggets and w- wealth of knowledge. Um, again, thank you so much for that. Um, I'll have your websites and social media handles and all of that um, linked in the description. Um, but yeah, thank you so much, ladies. I hope yeah, you, thank you. you get... <laughs> get through this tough time Yeah, you too. <laughs> um, and stay healthy and safe um, and we will be in touch. Yeah. Thank you so much. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe, listen to a couple more episodes and share it with a fellow Gangstar creative. I would also be forever grateful if you left a review letting me know what you loved and what you'd like to hear more of. And as a thank you for leaving me a review, I'll gift you both my 10 ways to create a gangstar brand PDF and five ways to boost your online sales PDFs. Just screenshot your review and DM me the picture on Instagram at Devana Stimson, and I'll send it right over to you. Until next time, cheers to annihilating the status quo of the starving artist.